Good morning. Hope you guys are safe and well. I'm a little sleepy. My kids, uh, you know, held me up till 6.30 in the morning, but drinking lots of coffee. Give you guys a few seconds to hop on, and I got Logan and Hosh with me today, and uh, we'll get this session started. Good morning, everyone. While we're waiting for everyone to hop in, um, as we do every week, I'll go ahead and introduce our new members who have joined the community with us. And we're, we're very excited to have you all. Um, so we'll start by Christina. Uh, we have Dwayne, who hopped in uh, earlier this morning, Sergey, Christine Rangel, Danielle Kelly, uh, Mark, Cicera, Baron Jones, wow, and April Thomas. Awesome. Welcome, Welcome to the group. Welcome, guys. Got a lot of new members. Awesome. As we always uh, mention, if you haven't already, introduce yourself inside of the group, uh, who you are, where you live, what you're looking to accomplish. And we also have the networking sheet inside of the members area that you can go into to input your information. Um, and that'll help you get better connected with everyone in here. Thanks, Logan. All right. Should we get started? Let's do it. All right, so to kick us off, our first question for the day is from Marine Gold. Um, she asked, if you had 500K sitting in the mm -hmm. bank, what would you do with it in today's market? Well, I would look for value add. Again, depends uh, what's your, uh, you know, geography, location, span. You know, if you're looking at multi-states, uh, there are value add distressed properties on the in the commercial uh, asset class that you could definitely uh, dip into with 500,000. Um, market definitely um, has hot and cold sectors right now. Multifamily industrial is super hot, but you got office that's uh, softening and there are opportunities in that asset class, which is what I'm buying. Um, also some retail uh, centers you may find that are grossly mismanaged, but that's exactly what I would be doing if I had 500,000. Awesome. Uh, our next question from our newer members, Vanessa and Jim, they said, hi, Manny, we are a Canadian couple with experience in residential real estate market here. We are looking to move our investments to the USA with commercial properties. Our question is, how do we look for lenders if we're starting off in the commercial space? Is there a specific property type we should start with or look for to assist with this process? I reached out to the lenders on your networking page and have not heard from them. Thank you kindly in advance. All right. Well, first of all, first of all, welcome to the group. Um, I would say, you know, uh, it's difficult to establish relationship. You know, if you're, especially if they know you're from outside of the country, um, their lenders are extremely busy right now um, with a lot of refinance, a lot of purchases. So I would say be persistent and email, you know, keep emailing them. Uh, Brandon Harris, uh, should be responsive. I know he's busy. He's doing two two loans for me right now. But uh, new Mark, probably not a best fit for you, but Brandon Harris, um, I would say with Black Bear uh, Capital is who you should be contacting. And what should you be buying? Anything that doesn't require, you know, uh, you know, a lot of management, um, hands-on management, uh, like retail. Mm -hmm. Those are typically, you know, less headache. 
and a retail center that is you know semi stabilized has cash flow that you can leverage and uh, get some uh, you know a, a good leasing broker on there to stabilize it so that's what i would be doing all right and then a follow-up question um they asked in one of your videos you talk about how you can write off expenses for travel mm -hmm. even the burgers and all things investing uh, i'm assuming that this is when you have opened a business is that the case and what type of education or licenses does one need to have to successfully do this yeah you should consult with your cpa uh but you don't need to be licensed to write off expenses as an investor looking for a property but if you do have an investment entity let's just call it manny koshman llc and um, you're flying out to look at properties touring properties um well those are typically write-off i write them off because i'm conducting business right um my meals travel entertainment all that you can write off there is limitations obviously uh so check with your cpa uh but you don't need to be a real estate license to write those off you, you it's best if you have an investment entity um, and you're conducting on behalf of your entity uh, due diligence and research uh, looking for properties. Awesome. Next question from Omar. Um, he prefaced by saying he got his real estate license because of you, Manny. And uh, awesome. he said, my question is, I just got my real estate license and I'm saving up. Um, how much should I save up to start investing in real estate and get his first property? Well, you can start as small as a 3% down payment, right? FHA loan, um, commercial property. You can start as little as 100,000 to unlimited, right? Um, why do I say 100,000? Because a lot of times you could do your research, find a great value at deal, and then, you know, network and co-invest with uh, another member in the group or somebody, you know, outside of the group. Um, or sometimes you can just broker it, sell it, and pick up a fee um, until you get to three, four hundred thousand liquidity to buy a shopping center or an office building. But the limitations really, uh, uh, you know, there is no limitation if you want to uh, take it that way. Because if you buy a fourplex, for example, for two hundred fifty thousand dollars in Houston, uh, you only need seventy five hundred dollars down payment to buy it. And I think anybody can scoop up that much, right, to get started. Um, you can also, since you're licensed, you can use your commission as a down payment and have seller credit you for non-recurring closing costs. Uh, that's what I did when I bought my first property. So there's a lot of ways to skin the cat to get us started in investing in real estate. Awesome. Uh, next question from Shayna. She asked, uh, can you give an example of how you'd structure a seller carry back when purchasing a property? Yeah, basically you ask the escrow to draft a note and deed. Um, and the terms are what you and seller agree to. Typically, uh, you start with writing an offer on a property and you have uh, your down payment. You have your due diligence period. And then you have the seller carry back in there. Um, the seller essentially becomes your lender and loans you the money from the equity he has now if he's got a lot of uh leverage on the property that's not going to work obviously so the property would have to be um you know either free and clear or have enough debt on there that your down payment would cover right because the property has to have uh, equity to be uh, able to 
collateralize it and lend it to you, um, lend it back to you. But yeah, that's how it works. The escrow can draft a note and deed of trust. And based on the terms you guys set forth in your LOI, whether it's 5%, 6% interest only, three years, two years, whatever that may be. Awesome. And then second question from Shana, she asked, I want to learn how to structure an offer. In your past videos, you state your purchase price, and then you state what dollar amount you sold the property for. The difference is the claim profit. I don't understand where your improvements, holding costs, and bank fees are figured in. Uh, and then do you structure your deals so these expenses are in the purchase price, or can you explain? Uh, yeah, typically the cash flow pays for my expenses of rehab. I take the cash flow, I put it back into the property. Um, if it's an empty building, um, and I put expenses in there. I do calculate that like shops at Home Depot <clears throat> on that calculation. <clears throat> Excuse me. I did have my, uh, TILC in there and CapEx, but it all depends, right? If the property has cash flow and I'm taking the cash flow, I'm putting it back into the property, like the Wisconsin property. We've uh, been doing that, uh, partially. So it all depends. Awesome. Uh, and then a uh, last follow-up that she mentioned is, can you offer more information on structuring an offer and funding opportunities? I want a success story, but need more support in making this happen. Any suggestions? Um, I'll follow that up. Shayna, we have a really good video on this, on the underwriting template, uh, which is in your members area as well. Teach you how to underwrite the deal and then use the template that we've provided. Yep. So, I mean, in terms of the putting a, offer together or finding an opportunity i didn't quite understand her question um structuring an offer and funding the opportunities oh i see yeah we have a template loi template and we have the analysis template awesome all right so next question is from malcolm he said hi manny can you explain how triple net leases lease expenses are mm -hmm. reimbursed and then is it monthly yeah, triple net leases are typically you pay the monthly base rent plus the monthly estimated triple net charges. <clears throat> and then every calendar year, typically by uh, end of January, the landlord will reconcile. It's called CAM reconciliation. And based on the actual expenses and what the estimated triple nets you paid, either you're going to be owed money or you're going to owe money um, if the expenses were higher. But it's typically paid per month estimated cam charges but your base rent is obviously fixed uh, and then it's reconciled usually january by february um, usually it doesn't go past february but all right and then a uh, follow-up question from malcolm can you give some guidance on tenant improvement allowance yeah tenant employment allowance is really a function of uh, what the market rent is and how much can you amortize over that um, you know, and typically sometimes landlords go ahead and amortize it and use an 8% interest rate. Basically you're financing the tenant improvements, but because office market is so challenging, uh, I don't see any landlords doing that in this market. Usually that's done during a strong, uh, cycles, uh, for office. And typically right now I'm using about 20 bucks a foot for my Houston deals. Um, if it's a you know three to five year lease, if it's a one year lease, we just do paint and carpet, which is typically ten bucks a foot, um, and then the rents are what the market rents are. Um, and then because it's a you know tenant market, um, the tenant brokers are 
pretty much demanding rent abatements one month for each 12 month of the lease term. So I have a three year lease right now out with three months free rent, 20 bucks a foot TI and eight bucks a foot triple net. So that's the typical lease for uh, office lease deal for Houston. Um, down here is about the same. I'm starting to see some free rents uh, demanded by tenant reps. And then TIs are, you know, again, function of uh, how much is your total lease value. If it's five year, then, you know, uh, they may ask for 40 bucks a foot. If it's three years, maybe 20 bucks a foot. And also it, uh, it has to do with the condition of the vacancy as well. Awesome. All right. And then we'll hop into our next question from mm -hmm. Suraj. He said, Manny, when I was searching for my first commercial property, uh, he said, I'm in contract with the first property already. Mm -hmm. I was only looking at major metros and areas within 20 to 30 minute drive of the suburbs mm -hmm. um, or the metros. Geographically, when purchasing properties, do you recommend preferring metros and their suburbs versus very small towns in the middle of nowhere type of properties, mm -hmm. even if you get a good deal and high cap rate? Um, I may be wrong, but I imagine middle of nowhere properties would be much harder to sell in the future. Just wanted to get your input on this as I look for my second and beyond commercial property. Yeah, very good question, Suraj. Yeah, definitely uh, stay with my density requirement, 70,000 uh, uh, population within three mile radius of the subject property. Now, if it's 50,000, it's not the end of the world, but if it's 6,000 within three miles, you got problems. Um, and yeah, I give you guys an example. I bought a property, it was called Bucktail Village um, in Pennsylvania. And he had a 6,000 population, um, but it was on auction.com, 10x.com. And it was, uh, I think I paid 20 bucks a foot, something ridiculous uh, built, you know, in 2002, I think, shopping center with Sears, a um, bunch of other inline stores. Um, 40% occupied and it looked amazing. Um, I'm like, I, you know, had the mother load. <laughs> I'm going to make 20 million bucks on this. So I got excited. I bought it cash. Then I couldn't find any broker to drive over there an hour and a half drive from Pittsburgh, I think, to go and um, lease the property. So after six months of uh, cold calling real estate firms, I end up putting it back on auction and I end up selling it. So that's why density is important, um, not only because you can't get quality you know, firms to manage and lease it for you, you're also going to have a hard time for tenant demand because just the density is not there. And typically there is one trade, uh, one company for each trade. So you get one shopping center to you know, uh, basically service the neighborhood and that's it. I mean, if there is a super Walmart being built, which is what happened to this property about three miles down the highway. And you're in deep trouble because all those shops will be moving over there. There's not enough demand, right? So then that density is very important. All right. Uh, follow up question from Suraj. If there is a commercial office property that I acquired for 430,000, mm -hmm. let's say the city or county property tax in the property was last year assessed at worth 730,000 which was land plus structure per county tax website. Do you think I can go to the city county property tax department and say it just sold for 430,000 and that is what it's worth and to reduce 2022 and onward taxes accordingly? 
or they don't adjust the property tax based on the sale price of the property. Yeah, absolutely. Every estate's different. In California, your taxes get reset every time a property trades and it goes, uh, it gets reset to the sales price, right? So it's great. You, this building, I bought it uh, for 3.1 and it was assessed for 10 million <laughs> when I bought it, it got foreclosed. So it, property taxes went way down. Um, in Texas, um, you know, you have to appeal it every single year. Doesn't matter what you bought the property for. The county does their own appraisal and all these law firms are set up to take your money. Uh, usually 20% of the tax saving that they procure. And uh, yep, you got to go through the appeal process. But I'm pretty sure, I don't know which estate Suraj you're uh, referring to, but I'm pretty sure there is an appeal process in every state and county. So definitely look into it. Yeah. If it's at 730 and you bought it for 430, you know, you got $300,000 uh, of value potentially can decrease. Awesome. Uh, Suraj, you asked a third question. If we have time, then we'll circle back to it. Mm -hmm. um, as of now, we're going to move over to our next question from Magnus. He said, hi, Manny. What is your opinion of using CoStar's 10X auction site for the purposes of selling a credit anchored triple net property mm -hmm. with some remaining lease up value add? Do you think this is a better approach than a traditionally market sell? Yeah. Hi, Magnus. Um, you know, I've had better luck uh, buying, you know, on, on the uh, 10X. I've sold probably, I bought two properties on 10X and I've sold six. But out of six, only two successfully sold. The other four didn't have my reserve. But um, that was back then, um, you know, during the Great Recession recovery. Right now, the market's so hot and crazy. Uh, people are chasing anything that, you know, uh, has a credit tenant on it. Um, so uh, I would say consult a retail broker in that submarket and see what their opinion of value is. And also uh, be mindful the auction 10x.com will say yes to anything because even if you put a high reserve, they're going to say yes. But what's going to happen on the day of the auction, they're going to be calling you every two minutes to reduce that reserve and they put the pressure on you and I've done it six times. So I'm just telling you from experience and they're going to force you to put a, a lower reserve. So once that reserve met flashes on the screen, they're going to tell you, oh, there's three bedders, they're going to go, uh, you know, they're going to bed against each other. And once they see reserve bed, it's going to go over. But that's usually not the case. So just the FYI, be mindful. They're very pushy. Uh, but I would say consult a retail broker. I would prefer you list it traditionally with a broker. If it's not sold in, you know, 45 days, then maybe uh, 45, 60 days, then I would uh, consider maybe 10x. All right. Uh, next question from Brian Gonzalez. He said, mm -hmm. what recommendations or advice do you have for someone who is starting as an entrepreneur in a real estate career in Phoenix, Arizona? Phoenix. I love Phoenix market. Well, the best advice I can give you is study the market. Um, and you have to spend a lot of time. Look at all the listings in your area. Um, call the brokers. Uh, go on cbrichardls.com. Um, you know, who's very active over there, Eric Witcherman. Um, I think he's with Cush, Cushman Wakefield. But find out who's active there. Start looking at their listings. Tell them, 
uh, to send you all the deals they closed last year so you can get familiar with what price per foot and cap rates were for that market and the asset class. So when a listing comes and looked at CoStar, uh, you can, you know, you have your eyes trained to identify, hey, this is mess price or it's a value add. And once you have that, then, uh, you know, the next step is, uh, you know, syndicate it or just basically rep a buyer and do a, a, a you know, profit sharing. Um, right now, the deals are very rare to come by on a value add especially in Phoenix. So the, your value is going to be finding that deal. And the way to find it is train your eyes, study the market, so you know what the market's trading at. So when you see a value at deal that's mispriced, and um, you can jump on it, lock it up, and then figure out how to close it. So that's my advice. Awesome. And then he asked an additional question on who has the best real estate course for licensing in Phoenix, mm -hmm. Arizona? Hmm. I don't know Phoenix, Arizona, but you know, Allied Schools. Uh, it's an online, uh, you know, uh, courses for real estate. I think they cover nationwide. So check them out. Allied Schools. Awesome. All right. Uh, next question from David and Christine Ringel said, uh, "Hi, Manny from San Antonio. We have a trustee and a beneficiary of a family trust under contract for the residential property." Mm -hmm. and are going to go under contract on the commercial property as well. Since he was not initially handling the trust and does not have any of the financials, would you still purchase the property if we were offering 70% minus an estimate of repairs? Also, the potential to replat or rezone of the almost uh, one-fourth acre lot the family also owns behind would make the entire lot just shy of three-fourths of an acre. The building per CAD was built in 1952 and has two long-term tenants and obvious deferred maintenance. Okay. So first part of the question is what got my attention about the trustee and beneficiary. What was the situation there? Um, we have a trustee beneficiary of a family trust under contract mm -hmm. for a residential property. And then looks like also a commercial property. Okay. So you guys are buying it from a trustee, right? Correct. So, uh, don't see a problem with that, but are they, do they have authority to sign or there was another question out there? Um, you said, since he was not initially handling the trust and does mm. not have any of the financials, would you still purchase the property ah, if okay. we're offering 70% minus an estimate of repairs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's pretty easy to, uh, calculate your cash flow on a property. If there's only two tenants in there, um, you surely can do estoppels, uh, during escrow. And the estoppel certificate would dictate, um, you know, tenant's name, square footage, suite, um, how much they're paying, if there's any outstanding TIs, any dispute with the landlord, um, which is, I recommend on every property you guys want to buy, and lenders typically require it. Um, so with the estoppel certificate, you can figure out what the income is, right? And then on the expenses, um, sure, the trustee would have last month or current month invoices, you know, your utility and then your property taxes, you can just pull them up. They're public. So whatever county it is, just Google it. You can pull up the property address with the APN number of the property. But yeah, most definitely. What was the other question there? 
the other question was, there's also potential to replat or rezone the almost uh, quarter acre the family also owns behind making mm-hmm. the entire lot just shot three fourths of an acre. Um, it wasn't a question. It was just more. Information oh, that's on fantastic. Awesome. And then uh, they did have a second question with regards to deleveraging. Do we follow this now, even if we are finding properties and getting them for 70% minus repairs or uh, was the class recorded and doesn't apply to 2022? With regards to deleveraging, yeah, deleveraging and just selling off your assets, stacking up cash. Well, yeah, I mean, actually, I like to lever if you have assets now, I like to leverage assets to raise cash. Uh, if that answers your question, okay, awesome. Uh, next question from Ash said, Hi, Manny, I recently sold my investment property. Um, awesome. Regular sell, not a 1031. Mm-hmm. So I can buy a single family home for my family. I have a second condo that I own and live in now. I'm wondering if right now is the best time to buy given the higher rates or should I hold? I have about 200,000 for down payment and can get positive cash flow if I rent my second condo. Hmm. Tough question because I don't know which market you're in. Um, cause some markets are super hot, but overall residential is hot. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not in the, uh, in the bucket of buyers. I'm in the bucket of sellers when it comes to housing. Um, so I would say hold off. I think that rates going up by end of this year, another 1% to one and a half percent is 100% going to dampen the prices of homes. So you, your best bet is to wait in my opinion. Uh, but again, I don't know which market you're in. Um, there's a ton of housing in Houston, Dallas, but obviously in Orange County is extremely low on inventory. So prices are uh, very inflated. All right. Uh, next question from Zoran. said, hi, Manny. You mentioned you bought one of your latest Houston office buildings through an auction. Um, is there a site that you go to bid on these or is that just a judicial sale? auction um no i bought it through foreclosure and the other one is through bankruptcy court but it was an auction i haven't bought anything recently um in houston through auction so, potentially yeah. saran you're you're getting it uh confused with manny selling 363 on auction. oh yeah yeah i sold that through 10x awesome um and then let's hop over to the next question from jonathan he said, can you provide a copy of your office and retail strip leases? Uh, I'm using our local real estate agents provided leases and want to see what a sophisticated real estate investor's clauses look like so I can compare to what's missing in mine. I have already ran into trouble with collecting nets on some of the leases I used or inherited as the verbiage was unclear. Yeah, to be frank, it's best you just use your association forms wherever you are because every estate is, has different laws um, and clauses for landlord and tenant. Um, I use CAR, you know, California Association of Realtors uh, forms for my office and retail, everything in California. Uh, but in Houston, uh, I, my attorney drafts the leases because typically they're, you know, Fortune 550 companies. So um, we have more comprehensive uh, leases drawn, customized. 
but use your association uh, board of realtors forms. That's the easiest one I would, uh, and least expensive for you. Otherwise, if you get an attorney involved, it will be, you know, five to 7,000 bucks for a small tenant. It's not worth it. All right. And then a follow-up question uh, from Jonathan is, what rates and terms are you currently seeing for investment mortgages after the recent and expected rate hikes? Yeah, the, the rents, uh, the rates have gone up a bit. They got bumped. Um, but the lenders are still being aggressive because they're sending a lot of cash. They want to lend it out on quality assets. So rates, I would say it's gone up probably 50 basis point. Um, and they're going to be probably going up another quarter to 50 basis point. Uh, but it's a function of 10-year treasuries, right? The 10-year treasury, I think, is right now 2.3. I haven't watched it the past uh, you know, several days. Um, and the spreads have come down a bit. Um, again, depends on what asset, right? Office building, the spreads are probably 200, basis, uh, 200 bips. On retail and quality tenant, uh, anchor tenants are 150 to 160 bips over the 10-year treasury. But they have gone up about 50 basis points since like eight months ago. All right. And then, um, Siraj, we will go ahead and circle back to your third question. I see we have some questions in the comments as well. Uh, we probably won't have time to get to all of them on the call today, but we'll make sure to get to them after the call and then post them in the Facebook group. So the last question of the day and the third one from Siraj is, Manny, as I'm acquiring my first property, which is 80% vacant on purchase as a value-add property, I'm being told that property insurance companies, many of them are outright refusing to insure because of more than 50% vacant building. Um, and the few others are asking me to obtain a tenant within 30 days of completing any upgrades or remodeling. Otherwise, they might discontinue my coverage. Any tips, mm -hmm. tricks, advice for such vacant properties from insurance coverage standpoint? Huh. Never heard that before. Now, on a vacant building, I have heard that before. But a building that's 20% occupied, uh, you're still running all your mechanicals, HVAC. Um, I would say consult with the insurance broker. All right. I don't know if you're talking to State Farm or Zurich directly, but I would go through an insurance broker. They would know who's uh, would be the good a good fit for that property to bind coverage. All right. I think with that, uh, that was our last question. A great bunch of questions, guys. And if you don't mind, uh, Logan, send me whatever was in the comment section, and I'll get to it after the call. But that's it. Thanks for joining the session. Be safe, people, and I'll see you guys next week.